We discussed the updated Deshaun Watson situation, the Derwin James extension, and the J.J. Ortega Whiteside trade coming up next here on Locked on NFL. You are Locked on NFL. Your daily NFL podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome into another edition of the Locked On NFL Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's Monday, so that means you have me, Kevin Ostriker, the host of Locked On Ravens. And again, as always, thank you so much for making Locked On NFL your first listen of the day. free and available on all platforms. That includes on YouTube. And today's episode of Locked On NFL is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is who covered this season with more props, odds, and lies than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And we are back here, another Monday edition. We are now still in week two of the NFL preseason, still some preseason action to get going here. But we have gone through a lot of it in the regular season is creeping up. It is really getting closer and closer. And it's exciting stuff. We're going to talk about a lot today. We're going to talk about the Derwin James extension with David Drogemeyer of Locked On Chargers in the first segment, then diving into the second segment with Jeff Lloyd of Locked On Browns. He's been frequent here on these Monday shows because of the Sean Watson situation. We're going to dive into the updated situation there with his 11-game suspension. And then finally, we'll get into the J.J. Ortega Whiteside trade in the Philadelphia Eagles, Luda Biasi of Locked On Eagles. So let's now first dive into that. Throw in James extension with David Jogemeyer of Locked On Chargers. Joining me here now to talk about the Derwin James extension is one of the hosts of Locked On Chargers and David Jogemeyer. And David, this extension felt like a long time coming, but still, it's good to get it done. How you doing? Hey, yes. Uh, thank you very much, man. Uh, I'm doing great. Um, thank God this deal is done. I mean, it was one of the, the kind of the bigger stories around training camp for the Chargers. And and so, hey, you know, when you got a, a guy of this caliber that really, truly means a lot to this team, it's just something you you want to go ahead and put to bed. Right. And so Derwin James getting a four year, seventy six point four million dollar deal, the highest paid safety in NFL history. So you got you got that title on him now. And David, if there was a man to be the highest paid safety in NFL history, is that man Derwin James? Absolutely, it is. And the reason why is because Derwin James is not just a safety. I think if you call him just a safety, then you're doing a disservice to his ability on the football field. Derwin James can play six different positions. He can play back as a deep safety. He can play in the box as a box safety. He can play in the slot. He can play uh, as a corner. He can rush the passer. Really anything that you ask Derwin James to do, he can do it, and he does it a lot better than some people that played that position as a primary. So Derwin James is such an incredible football player, but also equally as good of a leader and a man as well. Derwin James is a heartbeat is the soul, is the leader, the main leader of this Chargers team. And there's no question in my mind that Derwin James deserves to be the highest paid safety in the NFL. Yeah, and so you look at the number 76.4, David. Was that more than you thought he was going to get, less than you thought he was going to get? Obviously, the highest paid safety title is his, but what about the money? Yeah, no, I think that's probably right where we were expecting Duran James to come in. I mean, we knew that, you know, with that Minka Fitzpatrick deal that that got done a little bit uh, a couple months ago, that that was going to be kind of around the benchmark of where, you know, you were expecting that contract to be. And, you know, obviously, you know, whenever you have 
contracts like this, there's always going to be someone that's going to reset the market. Um, and so, yeah, I, I expected this Derwin James to be, you know, contract to be in the, you know, 18.5 to 19.5 million dollar per year uh, range for Derwin James. So, yeah, it kind of came in right where we were expecting. Yeah, so you get him around like the 19 million dollar range per year. That's you know, you talk about value for a highest paid safety. You're like, oh, they're giving him all the money in the world. But still, <laughs> for the player that he is, I mean, you're getting some value there. But David, you mentioned kind of getting this done before the regular season. How important was it timeline wise? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there was anybody around the Chargers organization or anybody in, in the media that were, you know, kind of really you know worried that this deal wasn't going to get done. Um, you know, obviously, as you get closer and closer to the regular season and, you know, we're about to kick off then yeah, it starts to get a, a little bit more anxious. You know, you just want the deal to get done. Um, he's so important to the team, you know, you, just on the field and off the field. So you just didn't want it to become a distraction. And, you know, unlike other situations, this was a hold in. So Derwin James did attend practice every single day. He was still involved in helping coach the, the you know, the young guys out there and be that leader off the field uh, until he was able to sign that contract. And then we expect him to get back on the field uh, after getting worked in sometime next week. Yeah, and I want to get your thoughts on, you mentioned how important he is. And obviously this Chargers team made a lot of big moves on the defensive side of the ball during the 2022 offseason. But how important is Derwin James to that defense? Derwin James is the engine that allows this defense to go as far as it possibly can be. Derwin James is a problem, a problem solver. And, you know, he, he solves a lot of the offensive problems that you need to combat. Guys like Darren Waller, guys like Travis Kelsey, who are true game wreckers at the tight end position or guys, you know, that that can get those, you know, the yards after the catch like a Tyree Hill. Derwin James's tackling ability and his ability to really man up and one on one coverage with pretty much anybody that you ask him to. He's an eraser out there, a problem solver for the Chargers defense, and he truly allows this Chargers defense to be as multiple as Brandon Staley's defensive scheme wants them to be. Yeah, and it's almost like you look back on who Derwin James was coming out of college. And, and I want to kind of do a little reflection with you, David. I mean, what, what has changed in his game? What has he improved upon since he came out of college in that 2018 draft to now? Yeah, well, I mean, it's funny. After the 2018 NFL season for Derwin James, where he was all pro at basically two different positions, he admitted that he didn't even really understand what was going on fully with the scheme. He was just going out there and allowing his instincts and his just raw playmaking ability to take over. And if that's what that looks like, watch out when the knowledge part of it catches up. And I think that's where he has separated himself. He's always been a physical freak. He's always had the the size, speed, you know, coverage ability that you're looking for. But once you understood the intricacies of the defense and what the opposing offenses are trying to do to you, that truly allows you to unlock your physical ability and go out there and not think and just play fast. And I don't know if there's many other players in the NFL that play as fast as Derwin James. Well, James, one of the stars, many stars on that Los Angeles Charger team. I mean, David, what, what's the mood right now among Charger fans and Chargers organization? Because again, they've gone pretty much all in here. They, they've made some yeah. big moves. So what's the mood? The mood right now is it's championship or bust. Uh, I think that there's a, a, after all of the, the, the moves that they made the, the first off season that Brandon Stilley became the head coach, 
coupled with the moves they made this offseason, bringing in Khalil, trading for Khalil Mack, bringing in J.C. Jackson, really trying to solve some of those major pain points. Sebastian Joseph Day, Austin Johnson, guys that come in and can stop the run, guys that are familiar with every level of Brandon Staley's defense so he can go out there and really execute and play the type of defense that he wants. So now that the Chargers feel like they have the defense solved, the offense was already top five, now it's time to go full steam ahead towards trying to acquire a Super Bowl championship. Right, and it's not just the stars to get the job done. You obviously got to have the right role players, the right depth guys, and the preseason a great chance to look at the, some of those guys. I mean, David, is there anybody who has stood out to you throughout these first couple games for the Chargers? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's probably a position that you probably look at the Chargers depth chart and you say, okay, well, they're probably pretty set there. It's the wide receiver position, and it's Michael Bandy. Michael Bandy is a guy who is trying to fight for the Chargers to make a sixth wide receiver role, and he has done nothing but catch footballs. <laughs> you know, my co-host Daniel Wade called him Michael 7-Eleven Bandy because he's always open, uh, and he was. He was all, he's been open uh, nonstop the first two preseason games. He's been fun to watch, and he is definitely banging down the door to a potential roster spot here with the Chargers. Yeah, and finally, David, I want to go back to Derwin James a little bit and talk about this Chargers secondary. You mentioned J.C. Jackson. Obviously, we've talked a lot about Derwin James, but what's the outlook there in the Chargers secondary? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the depth has really been upgraded, and not only with the addition of J.C. Jackson, but the Chargers also bring in Bryce Callahan, a guy who's played under Brandon Staley in the past, and... I think a guy that talent's never been the issue. You know, everyone knows when he's on the football field, he is a very productive slot corner in this league. And he, uh, by all accounts, he looks very healthy. So that just lengthens that cornerback room for the Chargers. Now you have J.C. Jackson at the top, Michael Davis, Asante Samuel Jr., Bryce Callahan in the slot. And I think they feel really good about Nazir Adderley and where he's at you know, in his fourth year in the NFL, pairing him with Derwin James so they can really go out there and get that chemistry going. The Chargers secondary looks very dangerous. And of course, a secondary's best friend is a ferocious pass rush. And the Chargers definitely have that with Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack. They do. And, and I actually realized, David, we haven't talked about Justin Herbert, Re really important guy to that Chargers team. Huh? I, mean, I mean, what's the outlook for Justin here heading into a really important year? I mean, I think MVP aspirations for Justin Herbert after literally being the most successful quarterback in NFL history through two seasons in the NFL. I think Justin Herbert is ready to have that top five offense take that next leap and try to become the number one offense in the NFL. The only thing that could potentially hold that back is the right tackle position, which is there's an open competition there right now with Storm Norton and Trey Pipkins. We don't know who's going to win that slot, but if you look at the Chargers offensive line, four out of the five of those spots look like they're solidified and locked down. If that right tackle position just improves its play, you know, to average tackle ability this year, then that Chargers offense and Justin Herbert could be, you know, enjoying some hardware at the end of the year. Yeah, it, it all starts up front. It really does, regardless of how good your quarterback, running Always. back, wide receiver is. You got to have the protection up front or else it's not going to be a fun time for that offense for sure. But David, in that AFC West, the Chargers definitely, with all these other teams loading up, they've done their part. And that, again, that division, in my opinion, is going to be the best in football in 2022. That Chargers team, one of the many teams in the AFC West to improve the division, I have been consistent saying is going to be the best division in football for sure. But we'll head into our first break here, though, on Locked on NFL. We still have a ton to talk about. We'll dive into the Deshaun Watson situation with Jeff Lloyd of Locked on Browns coming up in our second segment. So be sure to stay tuned. We still have a ton to talk about here on the show. But first, 
I do want to tell you a bit about Bet Online. Bet Online that is the fastest and easiest way to check out on all your betting news. You can find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. You can find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information from live and game betting, scores, and podcasts they have you covered. Head to Bet Online today. Use mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. Bet Online, where the game starts. We're back here with our second segment of Locked On NFL. Kevin Allstriker, your host, still here with you again. Thank you so much for making Locked On NFL your first listen of the day. And thanks again. It's Fantasy Draft Week on the Locked On Podcast Network. However you play, experts from the Locked On Fantasy Football and Locked On Fantasy Football we bring you daily positional top 10 list. Are you ready for the season? Find Locked On Fantasy Football and Locked On Fantasy Football on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. Now we're going to be diving into the Deshaun Watson situation. He gets 11 games. It's official. He will be sitting out those 11 games returning week 13 in Houston. We'll get into all that with Jeff Lloyd of Locked on Browns now. Now diving into one of the biggest stories of the week is the Deshaun Watson suspension officially comes down. 11 games for Deshaun Watson, more than the six he originally got from Judge Sue O. Robinson. Jeff Lloyd here from Locked on Browns to cover it all. How you doing, Jeff? We're good, Kevin. Uh, I've been a crazy busy week here, um, and it certainly wasn't helped um, by the Browns, you know, taking to the press minutes after this decision was headed down because, you know, everything, you know, obviously the press conferences didn't go very well. Um, in my opinion, they should have went to practice, um, had some PR people say, all right, here's some keynotes of things we need to say. Here's some keynotes of things we don't want to say by ownership by Deshaun Watson himself, by everybody involved. You want to come off on a unified front in that scenario. That didn't really work out so well. Um, but Browns had a play, game to play today. And, you know, we the biggest thing is we know the outcome. And it was getting way too late in the preseason for the Browns to not know what the outcome was. You know, they needed to know so they could get a plan in place. And I'm sure Coach Stefanski said we have A, B, C, D. But that's great. If you have, you know, we can handle it from any scenario. But you have to know the hand you're, you know, being dealt and how you're going to play it. And I think that was the most important thing for the Browns this week is they know what's the first 11 games. They've got to try to be the best team they can be for those 11 games. And then, you know, if all goes well, and oddly enough, he joins them in week 13 in Houston to face the Texans. Yep, 11 games it is. And that means Jacoby Reset or whoever it will be, will be the starting quarterback for those games. And Jeff, 11 games, was that more or less than you thought after the six games was coming? Did you think it would be more around eight, maybe 10? Did you think the whole season? What was your mindset going into this? I, I maintained from the beginning, I never thought it was going to be a season. Um, as it got closer and closer to Sue Robinson's verdict, he kind of got that feeling it was going to be, you know, single digits. And, you know, I think there's a lot of people, you know, I mean, there, I mean, look, there's many people who are uncomfortable with the fact that it's not being a year. Um, I know they would have been, you know, outraged if it were maybe four, six. Um, and, you know, it gets to 11 and, you know, kind of there is a favor done to Deshaun Watson with that ruling because with that Deshaun Watson – to, uh, you know, gets an accrued season, which puts him in the uh, line to make you know, about $43 million in 2023. Um, you know, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, something had to be made. And I think, you know, with Sue Robinson saying six games, the NFL, I think it was like 171% when they said we want a season, they wanted to add 171% to the suspension that she handed down. When you look at it at a number like that, it, it doesn't make, you know, maybe much sense. I think it was maybe too much, you know, when Sue Robinson basically said, look, I, I have issues with what he did. But the issue from your part is policy and past suspensions you've handed out for similar 
you know, type of, you know, incidents off the field. And I think with that, you know, they got together. Here's the number, $5 million. I, I think the $5 million fine actually surprised me. I mean, you know, if I was the NFL, I would have said $1 million a year for every year you're in the NFL going further. So I think the $5 million is probably, you know, maybe surprised me more than the actual 11 games. Yeah, that's a different way to look at it, too. That's an interesting way to look at that. And, Jeff, you have now a situation. We talked about the potential of Jimmy Garoppolo coming to Cleveland in some way, shape, or form. Now, obviously, free agency is a bit different than actually going out and acquiring him for the Browns. But do you think that 11 games is enough for the Browns to say, hey, look, we need to go out and acquire somebody like Jimmy G, or is this a Kobe Brissett's train until the wheels fall off? When you thought it was six games, four and two, with even the way Baker Mayfield played last season, Four and two was very, very possible. First three games are very winnable. Um, first four games probably are almost very winnable. Then you got the Chargers, the Patriots. That's week five, week six. It is the stretch after that. This five-game stretch, it is, Kevin, obviously your, your Ravens, the Bengals, uh, the Dolphins, um, the Bills, and also Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. That is a brutal five-game stretch. You're talking about a team that could be the best team in the NFC. The Buffalo Bills, heck, they might be the best team in the NFL before it's all said and done this year. That is a brutal five-game stretch to make it to 11. For me, and look, Josh Jobs played well today, um, so I want to give credit where it's due because I've kind of been a little hard on the scenario is we're one snap away we're one snap away from Josh Jobs. I mean, whether or not I think he's ready to go in and you know run that gauntlet of teams, maybe not. Jimmy Garoppolo, look, the record speaks for itself. A couple of years ago, played in the Super Bowl, played in the NFC Championship game last year. The problem the Browns have is if he does get cut by the 49ers, and this is similar to the scenario they went through with Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson eventually went through the process and chose the Browns. And look, everybody can say, yes, he thought the team and the roster was good. $238 million guaranteed was a hard number to turn down. If Jimmy Garoppolo gets to free agency, he says, what, best case scenario, I got 11 games there maybe he doesn't feel as comfortable choosing the Browns. So I know a lot of people are out, but I think if the Browns truly want Jimmy Garoppolo, they might have to find a way to work out a deal with the San Francisco 49ers, because if they don't, you know, they're putting themselves in the scenario of, and if he gets cut Labor Day weekend, when would he be ready for you? Um, You're in the scenario of, you know, will he choose us? And if he doesn't, then, you know, um, any rumblings that were in that clubhouse that maybe you had interest in Jimmy Garoppolo are certainly going to affect the current quarterback and Jacoby Brissett. Yeah, and it feels like Jeff, it's not just it's not just this year that this impacts. Obviously, there was a lot of implications of will the contract toll, will the contract not toll. I mean, what does this do for the Browns? Obviously, we know the draft capital they gave up for him, but what's the future outlook for this team with the suspension in mind? Look, and this is the thing that's bothered me the entire um time since Deshaun Watson's been here and certainly the summer through training camp. This is a really good football team. Miles Gatter is one of the best edge rushers, if not the best rusher, edge rusher in the NFL. Nick Chubb is one of the best running backs, if not the best running back in the NFL. Joe Batonio, Wyatt Teller. Um, you have a healthy Jack Conklin. Jed Wills really looks like, you know, a healthy Jed Wills is paying dividends to be that left tackle the Browns thought he was going to be. Dantel Ward, bunch of great guys in the secondary. Overall, this is a very, very good football team. And it felt really difficult to listen to the, as many bad things were said about them because one player should not define a roster of 53, and that's certainly been the case here. The other thing is, is he hasn't even played for the Cleveland Browns yet, and there's guys who have put tons of effort in um, as far as changing the culture of this franchise, changing the public rep- public eye of this franchise, and also turning this team um, from 2019 and 2021 where people actually said, oh, my God, the Browns disappointed this season. For those words to even be uttered, 
you know, should be, you know, a statement to guys like Miles Garrett, Nick Chubb, Joe Batonio, Denzel Ward, et cetera, et cetera. This is a good football team. Uh, they're going to be up against it, no doubt about it. But if this defense can play like they are capable of and find a way to keep teams from not blowing up the scoreboard, you know, they should contend week in, week out for those first 11 games. Yeah, and the players that this Browns team has been able to bring in over these past couple of seasons, Andrew Brady's done a great job of being able to build up the depth in multiple different positions. And, Jeff, part of the preseason is being able to see some of that depth in action. What have you seen with some of Cleveland's depth and role players over these first couple of games here? Um, there's a couple issues with it. I mean, obviously, we're, the one main talking point here is Jacoby Brissett. Jacoby Brissett hasn't taken a preseason snap yet. Um, you know, I don't know if the Browns are maybe trying to – hide him saying, look, we don't want anybody to maybe have a little bit of scouting report in Jacoby Brissett or a lot of a scouting report in Jacoby Brissett or even having film to go to, you know, to kind of get an idea of what we like or what we, you know, because if he goes out there, what are you going to run? You're going to run what you think he's comfortable with. Um, So you're trying to make him look good. So maybe they're trying to, you know, go that route with it and kind of maybe go with him, you know, like a little bit, you know, almost like a wild card type of thing. Um, so it's really difficult to evaluate a ton, but you know, what we've heard is positive. Uh, Mari Cooper's had a good camp. Um, it's been limited at times and they're being very, very smart and cautious with him, understanding how important he is. Um, the young wide receivers, it's been a roller coaster. Donovan Peoples Jones is playing really, really well in practice again. Um, and we went through this last summer. Donovan Peoples Jones was the best wide receiver in the room last summer. Did it translate into better success than his rookie year in 20? Yes, it did in 2021. Can it translate to better success? He hasn't taken a preseason snap yet either, so we'll see how it works out. But that'll be key. Um, David Bell, Anthony Schwartz, these are guys that absolutely need to step up. And I'm not saying we're talking about guys that need to catch 50, 60 passes. Um, but they got to understand that their number is going to be called as wide receiver threes, wide receiver fours. David Bell, it like s- s- the beginning of spring was great. The beginning of summer was great. Then he got dinged up a little bit. Um, you know, when I missed beginning of camp, didn't play till today, showed well, three receptions, had a drop, but I mean, you can see like, that's kind of understandable first action for a rookie, Anthony Schwartz against Jacksonville did everything right, except physically catch the football, which is the most important part, getting wide open, showing the elite speed, but not being able to catch the ball. Um, I think they ran a couple of more timing routes today. And this is kind of the thing with Anthony, when you run for two, it's a little bit harder for quarterbacks to be in sync with you than every other wide receiver in the room. Because if you do everything right, you're getting there faster than most other wide receivers do. So does it maybe disrupt a little bit of timing? Um, and I think the thing with some fans is, you know, they're trying to get on Anthony Schwartz. He's wide receiver four. I mean, if we're in a position where we're, you know, we're really, really pulling hairs out of a wide receiver four, um, it's a little early for that. He's got a calling card, you know, with that four, two speed and he can get deep. If he can get vertical, even run those routes, it makes Amari Cooper's life easier. It makes Donovan Peoples Jones' life easier. Uh, David Njoku, you know, Kareem Hunt, and all the routes he's able to run at the running back position. Um, you know, and every now and then you're going to get a deep one if you truly, absolutely, you know, just eviscerate the coverage. Um, so that's been a key one. Defensively, it's been the young corners. Um, AJ Green, Martin Emerson, uh, Denzel Ward obviously won't play back at practice, though. Um, Greg Newsom, it's been a little bit of a hamstring that's had him not on the field yet to this point. Um, but Martin Henderson, the first player selected by the Browns in the 2022 draft, immediately paying di- dividends in Jacksonville, had a big blow up of running play today. And that's one thing you see, he kind of has a little bit of safety mentality as far as being physical 
and being able to read things and blow up things and be a willing tackler. AJ Green is a guy that you know not a lot of people talk about. Was a great cornerback for this team last year. Um, got some nickel reps today. Looked really, really good. Um, went in the concussion protocol, but I mean, fingers crossed. Hope you think he's, that's a player you're going to have for week one. But there's been some bright spots here. Um, and even today with Cade York, I mean, yeah, he missed a 55-yarder, but he hit the upright. I think he's had such a great summer for the Browns. That was kind of like a heat check, you know, when Stephon Curry pulls up from about 33 feet and says, ah, I'm so hot, let's see if this goes. Um, hit the upright, it was close. Um, but it's, there's a lot of positives. And most importantly, it's just been great to be able to talk about football because it's been a strain covering this team for five months and pretend to be legal analysts, which we are certainly not paid to do. Yeah, the, the Deshaun Watson situation, 11 games, it is there. It is it is in stone, the $5 million fine as well. This Browns team competing in that very difficult AFC North. Tons of talent throughout the division. And, Jeff, I'm excited to cover it with you here again this season. I appreciate you coming on here. Well, I'm trying to do the math here, Kevin. Uh, at least at least at least that it's worse. Week seven. Week seven. So, we'll talk soon, buddy. You know that. Yeah, Cleveland playing in that AFC North. It is a very tough division. Obviously, teams like Baltimore, Cincinnati, and even Pittsburgh vying for that crown, and Cleveland wants to put their name in the thick of things as well, and they'll have to do so without Deshaun Watson for the first 11 games of this season. But we still have a ton to talk about here on Locked on NFL. Coming up, we're going to be diving into the J.J. Ortega-Whiteside trade and the Philadelphia Eagles. Ulu DiBiase of Locked on Eagles, so be sure to stay tuned. We still have a ton to talk about here on the show. But first, I do have a very important message. And you're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As an evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. But nah, you live nearby. You can make it home okay. It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license. You lose your job. You total your car. You kill someone. Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again, play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. We're back here with our final segment of Locked on NFL. Kevin Ostriker still hanging out with you here. And again, thank you so much for making us your first listen today here on Locked on NFL. We still have a ton of content to dive into today. Talking with Lou DiBiase of Locked on Eagles about that J.J. Ortega-Whiteside trade and more relating to the team. So let's dive into that now. All right, joining me here now to talk about the J.J. Ortega-Whiteside trade is Lou DiBiase, one of the hosts of Locked On Eagles. And Louie, that 2019 wide receiver class was an incredible one, but the Eagles, they have now A.J. Brown, but the one they drafted in J.J. Ortega-Whiteside didn't do too well in Philadelphia. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Kevin. And yeah, look, I didn't like the pick from the start. I was big on DK Metcalf, but no matter what, the Eagles were going to mess up that pick because if they didn't take J.J. Ortega-Whiteside with that selection in 2019 in the second round, they were going to take Paris Campbell. So regardless, back then, the Eagles wide receiver evaluation process, not great. Luckily, they have righted those wrongs, including Jalen Rager, the pick after they made up for those two bad picks with Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown. But at the same time, it would have been just a lot easier if they would have just took Metcalf or Terry McLaurin back then and used these other assets now that they use on receiver on another position. So overall, yeah, JJ kind of symbolizes a lot of what was wrong with the Eagles draft process back then. So I can't say I'm too upset they moved on. Yeah, so, you know, the draft process, definitely one thing. But, but Louie, what went wrong on the field for them? Why wasn't this pick able to be, to be the pick that they envisioned it back when they took him? 
Yeah, what I think with the Eagles back then, what happened a lot of the time was one, their philosophy, they were big on college production. It's also why they took Derek Barnett in the first round of the 2017 NFL draft. Even though the production, they didn't really use a lot of context for that production. They also got tunnel vision a lot when it comes to traits. They love J.J. Ortega-Whiteside's ability to make contested catches in the red zone when he was at Stanford. The issue was why he had to always make his money making contested plays. It was because he couldn't separate. So he had to make the tougher plays because he couldn't separate at the college level, and he really couldn't separate at the NFL level either. They tried this year, you know, making him a tight end. Last year, he was a special teams ace. I give J.J. a lot of credit. The kid worked really hard to do anything the team needed him to do to make a positive impact. But Kevin, overall, was simply the talent. He just did not have it at this NFL level to be a quality starting wide receiver. So, you know, I just think, again, he did everything he could. The work ethic was always there, but he didn't even make really the tough catches he made at college. The hands, he had some bad drop issues too with the Eagles. So overall, just a disaster of a pick. And I'm glad they at least got something for him with Ugo Amadi. Right. And so let's talk about Ugo Amadi a little bit. The Seahawks, it was reported they were just going to outright cut him. He apparently requested this from Seattle. And then they found a taker in Philadelphia who does the J.J. Artega white side for Amadi swap. What are the Eagles getting here and why they want to make this move? Yeah, the Eagles are really thin right now when it comes to nickel defensive backs, nickel corners and safeties. The safety group, look, the Eagles defense this offseason mightily improved on the defensive line, on the interior, on the edge, linebacker. I think they have one of the best cornerback trios in the NFL. Safety is the clear weak link. And I think Rodney McLeod leading for Indianapolis now, they're thin. It's unproven. Marcus Epps, Anthony Harris was a non-factor last year. They signed Jaquaski Tart in June. They just need some young bodies that have potential at the safety position, Kevin. And so Umadi is a versatile player that can play in the nickel. He can play safety. I actually liked what I saw from him against Cleveland in the preseason game Sunday. Made four tackles in the second half. A special teams ace as well. They need help on special teams. So, you know, I think he's just another body that's going to compete to make the 53-man roster. There's a lot of young safeties and defensive backs that Howie Roseman, the general manager of the Eagles, is just throwing at the wall and seeing which one sticks. You know, a lot of young guys with potential that are unproven, and Amadi kind of fits that bill in that group as well. So what's your confidence level now, Louie, in, in the Seagulls secondary and how they can perform this year? Yeah, again, I, I think the, the cornerback group is the best I've seen in a long time with that trio of Darius Slay, James Bradbury, and Avante Maddox. I really like as well what I've seen from Zach McPherson, their fourth-round pick in 2021. Heading into year two, I like Josh Job from Alabama, the undrafted free agent of the 2022 class, has looked really good over the past month and a half. Marcus Epps, they like what they've seen from the young safety too. So overall, I think the cornerback trio is one of the strongest in the league, and that's going to take a lot of pressure off of a weaker safety group. So too will a strong linebacking group and the defensive line, which is going to have a much more improved pass rush this year compared to last year. So it's a mixed bag with the defensive backfield. The cornerbacks are great. Safeties, though, to be honest, talent-wise, one of the worst in the NFL. But I, with the way Gannon uses his safeties too, with a lot of too deep, I can't imagine they're really going to make or break the success of this unit in 2022. Right. It differs for every team in terms of how they use their safeties. And really there is quite a difference between some teams and others, but let's move back to the offensive side of the ball. We talked about AJ Brown and just how, again, that 2019 receiver coming into Philadelphia, Devonta Smith expected to take a leap. I mean, what is that room looking like now? Minus are they go white side, obviously move over to tight end, but now what are the Eagles looking at with their pass catchers? 
it's crazy to be talking about the Philadelphia Eagles and talk about studs at cornerback and wide receiver because they have taken over a decade to get these positions right. As we mentioned, the J.J. Ortega Whiteside pick, the Jalen Rager pick. General Manager Howie Roseman, he looked himself in the mirror and he got this position right finally with Devontae Smith, with A.J. Brown, and also with Quez Watkins, who I think is one of the more underrated slot receivers in the NFL, had the highest contested catch rate and just overall catch rate for the Eagles last year, one of the fastest players in the NFL. I think that trio is one of the best trios the Eagles have ever had at wide receiver. And I made the bold claim just the other day on Twitter that I wouldn't be surprised this year if A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith is the best duo of receivers in the NFL when it comes to maybe not production stat-wise, because I don't know if Jalen Hurts is going to be able to carry this team passing the football, but I think when it comes to a complete skill set, there's not a lot of teams that have a Smith and Brown together with also Quez Watkins and Dallas Goddard, one of the best tight ends in football. There's not a lot of excuses for Jalen Hurts this year. They have set him up great with weapons. Yeah, and that, that duo is very formidable when you're talking about duos across the league. But let's talk a bit about the man throwing them the football in Jalen Hurts. Lee, what is your confidence level in Jalen Hurts that he can be the guy for Philadelphia this year to take them where they want to go? Yeah, look, I think the floor is still very high. Even if you got the 2021 version of Jalen Hurts this year with a much improved roster, that's a team that can win a playoff game. That's a team that could win and go to the conference championship like the San Francisco 49ers did last year. He's one of the best mobile quarterbacks in football. Again, they put A.J. Brown now around him and all those other weapons. One of the best offensive lines in football, an improved defense. I'm still very skeptical, though, of the ceiling. I ha And he's been... Very improved this summer. The mental processing is a lot better. The pocket presence, accuracy, timing, anticipation. It's all coming along, but it's still very inconsistent. And he's not the talent of a lot of these other younger players that you want to be more patient with that have a ceiling. So I'm still skeptical. I got to see it consistently throughout this year. Can he be a guy you don't just win with, but you win because of that throws 30 plus times a game. And when you're in a shootout with another star quarterback, like you saw Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs, I got to know that I have a guy in that kind of dogfight that can hold his own. And with Hertz, we still have not seen that yet in Philadelphia. So it's kind of a mixed bag for me. I have a certain expectation. I know he'll meet, but then there's a certain ceiling. I'm still skeptical. And that's what Philadelphia wants their quarterback to meet eventually, or they're going to move on. This is a huge year. This is a huge year huge. for Jalen Hurts and whatever he's able to bring to the table, Philadelphia can evaluate that and decide whether they need to move on or whether they can stick with him as their guy. But Louie, the preseason, again, su such a huge aspect in terms of some of these depth guys, these role players and undrafted players getting a, a very good chance to make a roster, earn some playing time. What have you seen out of some of Philadelphia's depth throughout this couple preseason games here? You know, I just got back from the Eagles-Browns game in Cleveland, and I was blown away by their depth when it comes to the offensive and defensive line. The Eagles build from the trenches. That's been their philosophy for the last 20-plus years, and their second-team offensive line honestly looks better than a lot of starting units. Like the Chicago Bears, I don't know. If they believed in Justin Fields, I might offer up a second- or third-round pick to the Eagles for left tackle Andre Dillard, who's behind Jordan Maialata, a former first-round talent. He's been dominant over the last month. Their second round pick Cam Jurgens as well, the rookie from Nebraska at center. He looks like Jason Kelsey Light, which is a crazy comparison considering Kelsey's one of the best centers in NFL history. But Jurgens looks great. Suo Peta, Jack Driscoll, their young offensive line has really blown me away. And also to their linebacking depth. You know, Nicobe Dean, the third round rookie from Georgia, 
has really stood out over the last couple preseason games, Davian Taylor as well. It's a position the Eagles have struggled with for a long time, and now they seem deep at that spot, along with the trenches, which they always do well with. So, yeah, I think overall I've just been really impressed with the depth of this football team. Uh, the one guy, though, I've been pretty disappointed with is former first-round pick wide receiver Jalen Rager. Been hoping he was going to show something, and not only just for the Eagles, but to try to maybe get another team interested in a trade. He just has not made an impact in training camp or the preseason. And it might be, Kevin, the next J.J. Ortega-Whiteside where you're just trying to get any sort of value for him back. So it's been a mixed bag, but overall I like what I've seen from the majority of this roster through camp in the preseason. Yeah, and Louie, I want to finally ask you about that NFC East division. What's your confidence level the Eagles can go and make a run of that division this year? I think maybe they're the favorite. I mean, when you have the best offensive and defensive line in the division – that's going to make you a favorite. And yeah, again, you have a quarterback that has a certain floor. I think their roster is just as good as Dallas Washington. I actually respect more than most across the NFL because I think Carson Wentz is a better quarterback than people give him credit for, but he is way more boomer bust than Dak Prescott and Jalen hurts. So I think it's still going to come down to the Cowboys and Eagles. And with all the improvements the Eagles have made this year, I don't know. I think the Eagles maybe should be considered the favorite. And I, I don't think that's a stretch. I think it's going to be really tight. And I don't think the NFC East this year is going to be really bad, Kevin. I know for the last like five years, it's always been, if you have seven to nine wins, you're in it until the end. This year, I wouldn't be surprised if multiple teams make the playoffs in the NFC East again. And really, there is a clear path for Philadelphia to make the playoffs. They'll be able to get some contributions from some of their young guys as well. I appreciate you hopping on. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. The NFC East is really a wide open division and it feels like it's going to come down to the Cowboys and the Eagles. But right now I think I have the Eagles number one. Now the Cowboys are close second for me, but it's going to be a division. Obviously the, the commanders have made their moves. The giants, maybe they make a surprise run who knows, but I do think that overall that NFC East is very up for grabs. But that's all I have you here today on locked on NFL. Thank you so much for tuning in. When we get back here tomorrow, We'll be having in more content with your Tuesday host. So be sure to stay tuned for that, and we will see you right back here tomorrow.